0: John chapter 14, a familiar passage of scripture to most, um, but we want to focus in on it once again this morning. John chapter 14, verse 1 through 6, the Bible says in verse number 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go you know, and the way you know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, Well, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And could we pray one more time together this morning? Lord, we're thankful for this passage of Scripture. Lord, we're thankful for uh, Thomas asking that very important question. How can we know the way? And we don't know what the way is. And Lord, we're thankful for the response that Jesus gave, that he is the way, the truth and the life, and that no man comes unto the Father but by him. Lord, I pray that you would instill that truth into our hearts this morning, Lord, if there's one here today that does not yet know them, once again, Lord, I pray that you would draw them to yourself and that they would uh, come to know you as Savior. For those of us who have been saved and are and your, chi- your children, Lord, help us to uh, value and cherish the gift that you have given us a little better because of our time spent uh, here in this passage. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. you may be seated. <coughs> It was just three weeks ago that I announced our church theme for 2019, For Christ Alone. And in that message, we talked about the focus that this year was for us to stop living for ourselves and to start living for the Savior, if you recall. 2 Corinthians 5.15, our, our memory verse for the month of January and where we get our annual theme Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.15 was written to a church full of believers. This morning I would like to take a step back from that and say this, that before we can ever live for Christ alone, we must be saved by Christ alone. And so today I would like to focus on the very most significant subject under the sun. And that is salvation in Christ alone. There are no more important subjects to talk about. Oh, there are quite a few important subjects that we could discuss. Certainly we could, uh, we could talk about the condition of our government, right? And the frustrating issue regarding the funding to protect our borders. Or we could talk about the absolute wicked decision that took place this past week in New York to allow women to murder their unborn babies. And we're reminded that this is supposed to be the land where we are of one mind to protect life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Unfortunately, we have failed as a nation to protect life, particularly those of the unborn. Now, not to minimize either of these issues or a host of other critical topics, but the single most important message to discuss is the message of the cross, the gospel, the good news, the message of salvation in Christ alone. Well, before we jump into the message by way of introduction this morning, I want to let you know that salvation is our greatest need. You say, well, no, I need to make more money. (laughs) I I feel you on that. I, I understand that's a need for some. But I'm telling you, that's not our greatest need. You say, well, I've got some big health challenges, and, and my biggest need is, is good health. I feel you on that. But I'm telling you, that's still not your greatest need. You say, well, my family's very dysfunctional at the moment, and, and this family is against, this family member is against this family member. I understand. But that's still not your greatest need. Your greatest need is salvation in Christ alone. Why is it such a great need in our lives? Well, first of all, because of our condition. Because of our condition before God. Psalm 14 and verse number 2, the Bible says this, The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So God was looking and seeing Hey, is there anyone that loves me? Is there anyone that's seeking after me? Here's what he found in verse number 3. They're all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Paul said in the book of Romans chapter 3 and verse number 9. He said, what then? Are we better than they? No in no wise, for we have proved before both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. And then it says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. You see, all of us in our condition are sinners, and we're not righteous. And we're all under sin, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Oh, you might get closer to the glory of God than me, but I'm telling you, you're still going to come short. Well, because of our condition, it's such a great need, but also not only because of our condition, but because of our course, because of where we're headed, because of our sin. Romans 6, tells us the wages of sin is not life. No, it's death. That's what we deserve because of our sin. That's what I deserve. That's what you deserve because of our sin. James 1, 15, Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. See, death in the Bible refers to two deaths. The physical death where the body dies. We have the funeral and we're, we, we, we see the body go down in the grave, and that's the physical death. That's the first death. The second death is far more serious and far more internal, and that is the second death. Mentioned in Revelation 21 in verse number 8. It says, um, They shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. You say, who goes to this place called the lake of fire? Who, who qualifies to go there? Who shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone? Well, The beginning of the verse mentions those who deserve to have their place there. It mentions the fearful. and It mentions the unbelieving. And it says the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burneth with fire and brimstone. You might say, well, hey, I'm not a murderer. I've never killed anybody. Hey, I'm not a sorcerer. That's not me. I've not been involved in that. Have you ever told a lie? I would dare say all of us would fit into that, that, that characteristic. And if you say, I've never told a lie, you're probably lying about that. And all of us deserve to go to this place called hell. Well, The Bible, des- Bible describes hell as a place of outer darkness, a place of wailing and gnashing of teeth, a place where the fire is not quenched, a place of torments a place of memory and a place without relief. And worst of all, hell is a place without God. And because we are sinners by birth and sinners by choice, we all deserve to go to this place called hell. Now God is perfect. God is just and holy and He is righteous to judge sin in this way. And Because of my condition, because of my course... That's why salvation really is indeed the greatest need of my life and yours as well. Years ago, I asked a man, uh, he uh, had visited our church and and after the service, uh, we were dismissed and and I wanted to catch him and meet him a little bit. And and so uh, I got kind of, people kept talking to me and I was like, hey, brother, good to talk to you, but I got to get to this guy over here i got to go talk to that that, that guest that I saw. And so I ended up chasing him out in the parking lot and caught him right before he got to his car. And I said, Sir, I wanted to meet you. My name's Eric, and and, uh, I wanted just to get to know you real quick and just thank you for coming to this service today. And he gave me his name, and and then I said, You know, before you go, i just got to ask, you know, have you been saved? And he said, Oh, I'm glad you asked. Yes, I have. And I said, Oh, that's wonderful. Tell me about it said, yeah. So when I was a teenager, I was riding my bike one day, and, and, and I hit something, and I, I fell down, and boy, it could have been so much worse. I was saved from dying from my bike accident. And I said, okay, well, uh, I'm glad that you didn't die in that bike accident. I'm thankful that you are saved physically. But what I'm talking about is something a little bit different than just physical salvation. I'm talking about, have you been saved from your sin? Have you been saved from the eternal destination called hell? Have you been saved by Jesus alone? We continued our conversation. You see, this morning, what we're talking about is not, have you been saved physically? Uh, There's people who've received a heart transplant, and and boy, their life was saved physically, and I'm thankful for that. But it's still temporary at best. I'm talking about eternity, folks. I'm talking about where will you spend forever after you perish from this life. So we're talking about salvation from our sin and from an eternity in a real place called hell that we all deserve. Look, if our greatest need had been information, God would have sent us an educator. If our greater greatest need had been technology, God would have sent us a scientist. If our greatest need had been money, God would have sent us an economist. Uh, but our greatest need was forgiveness, and so God sent us a savior, and I'm thankful that he did. So this morning we're going to highlight three aspects of salvation in Christ alone. First of all, I want you to notice with me, number one, the path to salvation is Christ alone. In our text, John chapter 14 and verse number five, Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. We're not, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Well, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. See, when it comes to the path of salvation, our culture is is fine so long as you believe that your way is the way for you to be saved and my way is the way for me to be saved. Jesus in this passage is not saying that he is a way. He is saying that he is the only way. He is the exclusive way to get to heaven, to have your sins forgiven, to have a relationship with God. There is no other way. Well, that's not very loving to tell you that there's only one way. Well, let's suppose that you're on the two-story, you're on the second second floor of a two-story house, and the whole house is engulfed in flames, and you're standing there at the window looking out, the whole house is in flames, and there's a whole bunch of people standing outside with a big, you know, blanket or something to catch you with, and saying, jump. You say, well, that's not very loving to say that there's only one way to live. But really, there is only one way to live in that situation, and that is to jump. And it is indeed the most loving thing to say. You could say, well, look, if you really believe that you can go back into the house, down the hall, down the stairs, and out the front door, go right on ahead. That's not very loving at all. You see... Christianity gets a bad rap because we're exclusive. And we're not an exclusive group, but we say that there's an exclusive way to heaven. And Jesus is the only way. It's not, hey, as long as you're really sincere, that's great. That's not what Jesus taught. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Unfortunately, we're living in a culture that worships tolerance. We can't tell someone that they're wrong anymore. Even two plus two doesn't always equal four if it doesn't equal four to you. See, we're living in the book of, the, the book of Judges again. The key verse in the book of Judges in the Bible is they did that which was right in their own eyes. And that is America in 2019... Hey, this is right for me, so who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Uh, Jesus is. That's right. Jesus can, has the right to tell you that you're wrong. You know, the song we sang a little earlier in our service, uh, What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Jesus declared in John chapter 10 and verse number 9. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. Jesus didn't say that he is a door. Like For instance, in, into this building, there's several doors. There's, there's a couple doors there. There's a, couple, there's a couple doors there. There's multiple ways into this, into this room. But there's only one way into heaven. And Jesus said, He is that way. He is not just a door. He is the door. Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So there are, there is a lot of different ways that lead to destruction, and it's a broad way, and many are going into that way, unfortunately. What are some false ways this morning that people are banking on to get them to heaven? Well, religion is the biggest of the bunch. Religion is a false way that says, hey, as long as I believe my religion, then God will smile upon me and let me into his heaven. But I'm here to tell you this morning that Allah cannot save you. Buddha cannot save you. Joseph Smith cannot save you. Mary Baker Eddy cannot save you. The Pope cannot save you. Being a Lutheran cannot save you. Being a Presbyterian cannot save you. And can I say this? Being a Baptist cannot save you either. Your denomination cannot forgive your sins and give you eternal life. Only Jesus can do that. The path to salvation is Christ alone. What is another false way that people bank on to get them to heaven? Another one is good works. Hey, I'm a good guy. I'm a nice person. I'm a good coworker. I'm pretty honest. I haven't hurt anybody. God's going to look down at me and say, "Hey, you're good. Outweighs your bad, and therefore, come on in." No, that's not how it works. You see, no amount of good works can earn your way to heaven. You can be baptized You can pray. You can read the Bible. You can say the rosary four million times a day. You can go to church every time the doors are open. You can give money to the church. You can help people. You can give to charity. But none of those things can earn your way to heaven. Some of these are good things and we ought to be doing them, but, but not in order to earn God's favor because it cannot be purchased. It's already been paid for. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, in thy name done many wonderful works? Then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. There's going to be a lot of people in that day as they face eternity. They're going to say, hey, Lord, I was a good person. I did a lot of good things. And there, unfortunately, is going to be a lot of religious leaders who said, I used to preach. I used to teach my religion. I have done a lot of good things. God's going to say, look, I appreciate your works, but that's not what it took to get you to heaven. Depart from me, I never knew you. Because works cannot get us to heaven. Isaiah 64 and verse number 6 reminds us, we are all as an unclean thing and all our righteousnesses, all our good works are as filthy rags. We all do fade as a leaf and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. So you say, Well, Lord, here's all my good works. And you're just so proud of them. Look at all the things I've done. And God looks at them and says, That's a bunch of dirty towels that need to get washed. It's not about what we've done, it's about what He's already done. I'll share a story with you. Normally, the flight from. Nassau to Miami took Walter Wright Jr. only 65 minutes, but on December 5th, 1986, he attempted it after thieves had looted the navigational equipment in his Beechcraft airplane. With only a compass and a handheld radio, Walter flew into the skies blackened by storm clouds. When his compass began to gyrate, Walter concluded that he was headed in the wrong direction. He flew his plane below the clouds, hoping to spot something to get his bearings. But soon he realized he was lost. He uh, eventually put out a Mayday call, which brought a Coast Guard Falcon search plane to lead him to an emergency landing strip only six miles away. But suddenly Wright, Wyatt's right engine coughed its last and, and the engine died. The fuel tank had run completely dry around 8 o'clock, Wyatt could do little more than glide the plane into the water. Wyatt thankfully survived the crash, but his plane disappeared quickly, leaving him bobbing on the water in a leaky life vest. With blood on his forehead, Wyatt floated on his back. Suddenly, he felt a hard bump against his body, and he realized a shark had found him. Wyatt kicked the intruder and wondered if he would... (laughs) really even survive the night. He managed to stay afloat for the next 10 hours. In the morning, Wyatt saw no no airplanes, but in the water, a dorsal fin was headed right for him. Twisting, he felt the height of a shark brush against him. In a moment, two more bull sharks sliced through the water toward him. Again, he he kicked the sharks and, and they veered away. But he was nearing exhaustion. Finally, he heard the sound of a distant aircraft. Oh, when it was at half a mile away, he waved his orange vest as best he could. the pilot, praise the Lord, spotted him and radioed the Cape Cork, the Cape York sorry, which, which was 12 minutes away. "Get moving, cutter. There's a shark targeting this guy." And as the Cape York pulled alongside Wyatt, a Jacob's ladder was dropped over the side. Wyatt climbed wearily out of the water and onto the ship where he fell to his knees and kissed the deck. He'd been saved. He didn't need encouragement or better techniques. Nothing less than outside intervention could have rescued him from sure death. How much we are like Wyatt. We cannot save ourselves We are completely helpless and need someone to save us. And the only one who can and the only one who will is Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. In Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, we read, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You see, Jesus isn't just a way, He is the only way. And you will not get to heaven without Him. And no one on this planet will get to heaven without Jesus Christ. No one. Why is He the only way? Why could He why why is it so exclusive? Because He is the only one who died on the cross for my sins. And bled and suffered and died. But not only that, three days later, he rose from the dead. Oh, there are a lot of religion founders out there who have died for their cause. There's only one who lives today. And that's Jesus. He rose from the dead by his own power. That's why he is the only way. So we see the, the path to salvation is Christ alone. There is no other paths to salvation. If you try to go by your own good works, you're not going to make it. If you go because you're banking on your religion, you're not going to make it. If you go because of some other reason, you're not going to make it. The only way we can be saved is through Jesus Christ. Secondly, I want you to see, number two, the process of salvation is Christ alone. The process of salvation, Of salvation is Christ alone. If Jesus is the only way, the only path to salvation, how do I receive Him? How do I be saved? Ephesians chapter number two, verse four, Paul said, But God, who is rich in mercy, for His great love, wherewith He loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. And then He says, By grace ye are saved. And then a few verses later, it says, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So it's nothing that we can do in order to get saved. It's all about Jesus and what he has done for us. There's a lot of phraseology that sometimes we use as Christians. But I want us to be careful as a church with using these type of terminology, because it can lead to misunderstanding, and it could lead to confusion. We use phrase like, pray and ask Jesus into your heart, giving your life to Jesus, asking Jesus into your life, asking God to save you. Now, these are well and good, but they're not exactly biblical language, if you are honest with the scriptures. They can lead to a faith and a trust in something that you did. You know, when you ask somebody, hey, tell me about how you came to Christ and and, uh, tell me if you're a Christian. Oh, yes, well, I did this. In a sense, you're banking on something that you did. A stark example of that came to us as a family. Now, we know that salvation is Christ alone but when when my son Seth uh, was younger, I've shared the story once before, he was saved around Christmas time as a young young man. He had lied to his mother, she caught him in that lie, and he, moms have a way of knowing when kids are lying. <laughs> they have that special spidey sense that knows it's that that little mother intuition that 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 uh, this guy's lying, and, and she caught him in a lie, and, and she said, you're going go to you're gonna go talk to your dad. And so she came to me, and she said, you need to talk to your son. And at that moment, again, um, he wasn't her son. <laughs> he was my son uh, because of the fact that he was a sinner at that point. And, <clears throat> you know, when he was a good kid, then she claimed him, but <laughs> I don't know what, what what's all, that's all about. Well, I began to talk to him about his sin of lying and, and kind of went through the explanation of the gospel. And I said, Seth, have you ever been saved? And he said, I don't know that I ever have. And I said, well, want to take care of that? And he said, yes. He's like, could we take care of that right now? And I said, sure. And so I said, well, let's, uh, let's pray together. And so he prayed and, and uh, asked Jesus to be his savior. Well, some, months, some years went by, he's in Sunday school, and there was a Sunday school teacher at our church, and, and he asked, and he posed the question to the class, he said, what percentage of salvation belongs to God, and what percentage belongs to you? My, Seth, my son Seth responded with, well, I, I think God's part is, is 99%, and, and 1% is, is our part, because I had to pray. I had to do something. Well, that, that brought a red flag up in our Sunday school teacher's mind. And so he approached me after the service, and he said, uh, Eric, I, I wanted to mention something about what happened to your son in Sunday school this morning. I said, yeah, please, I'm all ears. He shared that story with me, and I said, okay, well, we'll hide that in our heart, and we'll kind of watch things. Well, as we moved away, and we were in a new place, and it was kind of a different, uh, a different environment, Seth was encouraged with this truth that we're trying to explain this morning, and that is salvation is Christ alone. It's 100% Him and 0% me. And he said, I realized then that I was depending for my salvation on a prayer that I had prayed instead of on all Christ and what He already did for me, not on something that I did. You see, salvation which God offers sinners rests on a simple understanding and faith in the Word of God concerning the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. God in the person of Christ stepped into history and acted on our behalf. He lived, died as our substitute, and rose again. A person then exercises faith when they look away from all self-effort to the saving history of Christ and depends only on Him and His work of salvation on the sinner's behalf. Trevor McWilliam, I want to put up a quote here on the screen. He said this, The unmistakable emphasis of the whole Bible is that salvation in Christ is received through faith alone and is not dependent on any action of man. It's not something that, once again, we know that we can't earn it, but sometimes we bank on something that we did to receive it. <coughs> Paul said to the man Titus, he said, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shut on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Paul said in the book of Romans, chapter 11, verse 6, this is kind of a tongue twister, but bear with me. He said, and if by grace, then it is no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace.'" But if it be of works then it is no more grace otherwise work is no more work like I said, a tongue twister but what he's saying it's either all of works or it's all of grace it's one or the other it cannot they, 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 they two cannot happen together it's either all of grace or all of works and I'm thankful that it is all of grace so let's not get works in the mix of it. Romans 2 and verse 4, the Bible says, The goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. So even God here is leading us to a point where we repent of our sins and come to Christ and believe on Him. Okay, well then how can then I be saved? What do I need to do in order to accept Christ as my Savior as, uh, or uh, to be saved? What do I need to do? John chapter 1 gives us the answer. John chapter 1, verse 11 says this, He came unto His own, and His own received Him not. Then it says, But as many as received Him. Oh, this is what I want to know. How can I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior? As many as received them, to them gave He power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on His name. It doesn't say to them, even to them that prayed a prayer. Now, I'm for praying prayers. I pray, and I think you should too. But it doesn't say to them that pray a prayer, but to them that believe on his name. John chapter 3 and verse 16, the most famous verse of the Bible. Do you know it? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever cometh down to the altar. At the invitation. I'm for coming down to the altar at invitation. That's not what it says. It says, Whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3 and verse 36, he that goeth forth at an invitation at a crusade hath everlasting life. That's not what that verse says. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. These things have I written unto you, John said, that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Acts chapter sixteen, is the the after the great earthquake, you recall, Paul, Paul and Silas were singing praises at midnight. I'd probably be sleeping at midnight, but Paul and Silas they were singing, they were having a. Sing Well, there was a great earthquake, and everybody was starting to escape. And Paul and Silas said, "Oh, well, let's stay. Let's be a good testimony." And and the jailer looked around, and he said, "I might as well just end it now, because my life's over. Everybody's escaped. I didn't do my job." And they said, "Be a good. We're not leaving. Don't be troubled." And then the jailer looked at those guys and said. You know, I've heard you've been singing. I know you're Christians. Okay, I give. I give up. What must I do to be saved? Because I want what you have. And they said, okay, well, you got to come to our church and go through a class and then uh, take a test, and then you could be saved. No, that's not what he said. It says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Is what they said to him. He did. I think about again in the book of Acts as the uh, the eunuch there uh, as he was reading in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter fifty three, if you recall, and, and and Philip was the evangelist that that went and began to explain to him the scriptures. And and the eunuch is is understanding this, and he's just loving the truth here, and and they come over to you know. A big huge lake, and they said, Hey man, there's a big lake over there. Let's can I get baptized? And Philip said this. Uh, he said, Well, if thou believest in thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And then the Bible says, Then he went and was baptized. You see, I'm not I'm not against asking Jesus into your heart. I'm not against any of that, but The problem with it, though, is it causes people to bank on something that they did. When God's word, the emphasis is on what Jesus did, not what we can do. D.L. Moody said this, The thief had nails through both hands so that he could not work, a nail through each foot so that he could not run errands for the Lord. He could not lift a hand or a foot toward his salvation, and yet... Christ offered him the gift of God, and he took it. Christ threw him a passport, and he took him to paradise. It is not anything that we can do. It is in Christ alone. The path to salvation is Christ alone, and the process of salvation is Christ alone. Nothing that we can do. Thirdly, and finally this morning, and I'll be quick with this one. The priorities of salvation in Christ alone. Okay, so what are the priorities when it comes to salvation in Christ alone? What should priority numero uno be? First of all, receive it. God is offering you a gift of eternal life. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior by believing on His name, by believing that Jesus is, died on the cross for you, rose again according to the Scriptures, and that He is coming back for you as well. Look, just because someone wants to go to heaven and even thinks they may go to heaven doesn't actually mean they're going to heaven. It is a free gift that God offers us, and yet just because He is offering it to us does not mean it is ours. We must receive it. If I wanted to give this piece of paper to my son Luke, and I say, hey, I got this piece of paper for you as a gift. Yes, it was expensive. But I got this for you, and it's fully paid for. Come on, take it, take it, take it, take it. It doesn't become his. Don't take it yet. (laughs) You'll ruin the illustration. But if I keep pushing it toward him and say, come on, please take it. It never becomes his until what happens? Until he takes it now it's his god is offering you god is offering me this gift of eternal life but it's not yours until you take it until you receive christ as your savior by believing on him you can keep that you may need to highlight another order of service brother randy (laughs) just gave your order of service to luke John chapter 1 again, he came into his own, his own received him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Will you receive Jesus as your Savior by believing on him? Again, it's not something you can do. Will you do that? Will you receive it? Secondly, those of us who've received it, the priority number two is to appreciate it. Appreciate it. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 9.15, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. As Paul thought about his salvation in Christ alone, he just couldn't help but say, thank you for this gift that's it's so wonderful, it's unspeakable. So you can tell that Paul appreciated this gift of salvation in his life. Do you appreciate this gift in your life? Salvation is an incredible gift that we ought to treasure and cherish more and more as the time goes on. I realize that some of us have been saved for many, many years, some even decades. But that should not, uh, the, the, the joy of our salvation should never wear off. It should be something that we increase in as time goes on and that we appreciate even more. According to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 9, it's actually possible to even forget that you were saved, that you were purged from your old sins, is the phraseology that Peter uses. If we fail to grow in our Christian life, it, we can get to a point where we even forget we even came to Christ, where we ever believed on His name. And what a sad, sad fact that is. And I know that there's people all around this community that that's the case, one day they did believe back when they went to a vacation Bible school or they were raised in church and as a young man or woman or young lady they, they accepted Christ by believing on Him and, and then things happened in life and they just failed to grow. Don't let that happen to you. Make sure that you keep growing and growing in your appreciation for what God did for you on Calvary's cross. So, the priorities of salvation in Christ alone. Receive it, appreciate it, and then thirdly, share it. Let's take this gift that God's given us. And it's a gift to be appreciated and cherished and valued and, 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 and all of that, yes. But it's also meant to be shared. God has given each of us as believers the responsibility to share this message with a lost and dying world. All of us have the ministry of reconciliation, according to Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.18, you say, well, we just had ministry uh, involvement Sunday, and I signed up to be in this particular ministry, and I marked this bubble for this ministry. Um, There was one ministry that you didn't have to sign up for that I know that God signed you up for the moment you got saved. And that is the ministry of reconciliation. That is the ministry of getting the truth of the gospel Out of these walls. 2 Corinthians 5.18 And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Congratulations, you have been signed up for the ministry of reconciliation. See, I don't remember marking that bubble. Uh, God marked it for you. A couple verses later in 2 Corinthians 5, Paul calls us, as believers, ambassadors for Christ. Wow, what a privilege to represent the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to a lost and dying world. How are you doing? Are you a faithful ambassador? Are you fulfilling the mission that God has given you? The, the, the TDYs that God has called you on? Have you been a faithful ambassador for Christ? So those are the priorities of salvation in Christ alone. I'd like to end this morning with a, with a little bit of a story. The story goes, a prayer meeting service had barely begun when the door opened and a well-built, clean-looking, neatly dressed man entered. And no, this isn't about me. I know you're all thinking that. I thought that too when I first started reading this story. I was like, this is my autobiography. No, <laughs> I'm teasing. This uh, well-built... A clean-looking, neatly-dressed man entered in, and he sat down and joined wholeheartedly in the service. When the time for public testimony came, everybody's attention was directed to the stranger as he rose to his feet. He said, I, I know you're wondering who I am and why I'm here. Uh, let me go ahead and tell you. He said, my name is Dodge. I'm a traveling salesman. Some years ago, I had a friend named Ralph Hinman. Ralph was a strong Christian and always talked to me about the love of Christ. He frequently quoted that verse, Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. He then showed me that Christ died for his enemies and insisted that I was still an enemy of Christ. One day, my doctor's wife phoned me about a relative's daughter who was very sick. The doctor had called on the patient that morning and had promised to return in the evening with some medicine. During the day, the doctor suffered a heart attack and was unable to deliver the, the medicine to the patient. It was to arrive in town at 7.10 p.m. by train, then to be delivered to the doctor's home, and then someone else would have to pick it up and deliver it the seven miles to the dying girl who needed this medicine to stay alive. And the man giving this testimony said, I promised that I would pick up the, doctor, uh, pick, pick the medicine up at the doctor's home at 7.30 30." Well, during the day, a heavy blizzard had blocked the roads leading out of town, and there was a question whether anyone could make the trip to the sick girl's home safely. Because of the heavy snows, travels would have to be done on foot or snowshoes. The trip itself might even claim the life of the one delivering the medicine. And of course, even if he made the trip successfully, he might still catch the disease that this girl had and die himself. To my surprise, when I called at the doctor's home, I found that Ralph had been there ahead of me and was already on his way to deliver the medicine. Ralph, Ralph was not a rugged man, uh, and, 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 and this man Dodge said, I, I doubted his ability to stay on the trip, and my fears were well grounded. Though he made the hazardous journey and, and saved the girl's life, the shock from cold and exposure was so great that he died the next day. I had no opportunity to see him and to thank him. In Ralph's inside coat pocket, they found a package addressed to me. So, of course, I opened it, finding his New Testament and a note. In the the New Testament, he had underlined his greater love hath no man than this verse. And the note read something like this. Ralph said, I feel this is a death journey for whoever attempts this trip so I have decided to take it in your place. If death overtakes me, I am ready for it, but you are not. I'm giving my life to save yours. That is, if this journey proves too much for me. I'm willing to do it, but remember, I can't save your soul. My sacrifice will prolong your physical life, but you better get ready for eternity. Take a friend's advice. I'll be looking for you on the other side. As the man Dodge continued his testimony in this church, he said this Tonight, I stand here to tell you that Jesus Christ is my Savior. I saw God's love in the sacrifice of his Son. It was because of Ralph Hinman, who in his love opened my eyes to the greater love of Jesus Christ. Could you give a testimony this morning to say that Jesus Christ is your Savior? Have you believed on him? Can I remind you, he's the only way. Try as you might, you'll not get there another way. He's the only way, and he's inviting you to come to him and believe on him for salvation.